yeah, it really is good to be together and uh, to worship God. And, um, and we've, we've been blessed already by uh, people leading us in worship and uh, in, in breaking of bread. And, uh, and we appreciate all that. Amen. Um, just two or three things to mention. Uh, as I say, over the next two or three weeks, we really continue to believe that God is going to help us. And uh, we, we're forever praying uh, about uh, God just uh, working uh, in all that we do. We recognize that uh, we're not defined just by today. But the reality is that uh, if this works well, then it has an amazing impact upon everything else. So we encourage you to pray for those special events. On the Community Sunday on the 24th of June, it's also likely that our local MP, Jessica Lee, will be with us. And uh, so uh, that would be absolutely great to welcome her to the service. Just to say also that um, you may have read the Ilkeston advertiser this week and seen that the advertiser, or the Tizer as it's calling itself, is, uh, is uh, partnering with us specifically in Food Bank and they've uh, saved the front page. So Christian, David and, and the editor are on the front page, a great piece. And also you may pray because uh, a week on Friday, at God willing, uh, Jessica and Ian Duncan Smith MP will be here at Arena sort of late afternoon to look at the Food Bank project. Uh, some of you will know that Ian Duncan Smith takes, uh, is, is a cabinet minister and takes particular uh, uh, viewpoints on social need in our nation. And uh, so that's just going to be a great opportunity to be able to share a little bit of what's taking place. We give thanks to the Lord. Uh, just before I come to the message this morning, um, <clears throat> the Bible tells us, uh, you, you may have various viewpoints about the weekend um, and uh, that's absolutely fine. But the Bible tells us that we're to respect authority. And it also tells us in 1 Timothy that we're urged with petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving to be made for all people, for, for kings and queens, and for all those in authority that we may lead peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. And uh, this weekend, as you know, is the Jubilee 60th celebration of Queen Elizabeth II's reign over our nation. Uh, a reign that's been marked with uh, unblemished service and unwavering commitment. And uh, we give thanks to God for that. I don't want to, in, in any sense, speak uh, lightly or tritely about Her Majesty this morning. But I, I think it's absolutely fair to say that um, um, she, uh, she not only is uh, head of the Church of England, of course, and defender of faith. But she is somebody that has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if any of you have listened to the Queen's... Uh, de uh, Christmas Day messages over the last few years, uh, they've been full of the gospel. And uh, we give thanks for that. We give thanks that it's brought some sense of stability to our nation. We uh, have many issues in our nation today. And as Christian people, we're very concerned about the spiritual state of our nation. But uh, we also thank God for its heritage and for its history and for all that we can draw upon and to believe again that God will do something great in Great Britain for the glory of God. So I'm going to pray this morning. I wonder if you'd stand with me because I'm going to pray uh, for our queen. I'm going to ask that God will bless her. And uh, we uh, are just going to stand in the presence of the Lord. And in very unarena-like fashion, I thought, how could I pray for this appropriately? So I'm going to pray a said prayer. It's okay, they do work as well as the ones that just come off... <laughs> And so I'm going to read this prayer, but it's a prayer that I think is very appropriate for this morning. Oh Lord, our Heavenly Father, high and mighty King of kings, Lord of lords, the only ruler of princes. You who 
of, from the throne, behold, all dwellers upon earth. We beseech you that with favour you will bless our gracious sovereign lady, Queen Elizabeth II, and replenish her with the grace of the Holy Spirit, that she may always be inclined to do your will and walk in your way. Endure her with the heavenly gifts. Grant her health and wealth long to live. Strengthen her that she may vanquish and overcome all enemies. And finally, after this life, she may again attain everlasting joy through Jesus Christ our Lord. Almighty God, the fountain of all goodness, we humbly beseech you to bless Elizabeth, Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, and all of the royal family, endue them with the Holy Spirit, enrich them with heavenly grace, prosper them with all happiness, and bring them to your everlasting kingdom. Through Jesus Christ our Lord and all the people of God said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated, thank you. Bishop Tony would be proud of me, that was from the Book of Common Prayer, and, uh, and uh, <coughs> couldn't beat it. An amazing prayer over our majesty. Um, this morning, friends, uh, we've got a verse that I think is appropriate for us on this, uh, on this special day. And it's Leviticus 25 and verse 10 in the Old Testament. Leviticus 25 and verse 10. And it says these words. He says, consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. The message Bible says, proclaim freedom all over the land to everyone who lives in it. A jubilee for you. You know, I, uh, I, I thought, what do we minister on this particular Sunday morning? And it seemed absolutely appropriate to recognize that the Bible speaks about Jubilee. Hopefully, uh, you'll get a little bit of a feel of it as we go into the ministry this morning. I didn't think we could bypass this weekend without making reference to a wider spiritual significance of what God calls every one of us to do. So we celebrate, we rejoice and uh, we are delighted that our Queen has had the health and strength to be able to lead our nation for 60 years. But the reality is this, that in Jesus Christ, every one of us can celebrate a Jubilee. A year of Jubilee that's not defined by 12 months, but actually impacts every day of the future of our lives. And here in Leviticus, and some of you may have in the heading uh, in, in your Bible from about verse 8 onwards, that it's entitled, A Year of Jubilee. And I want to talk about that for a few moments this morning as God helps us. I want to encourage you, I want to inspire you. I believe that the worship this morning, the songs that the worship band have brought to us, help us come to this place this morning of understanding all that God has got for our lives. But firstly, Leviticus, let's get it out of the way right up front. Because it may be that you're a new Christian, and you've decided that you're going to read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Or it may be that you've been a Christian for a long time and thought, you know what, I'm going to read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. So you begin with Genesis, you read about the fall, you read about God using people like 
Abraham and Noah. You read about the narrative that unfolds of God getting a hold of somebody and promising to bless them. And then you go into Exodus. And you read about the mighty deliverance of the people of God, the provision, the direction. I think this is amazing. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And then you realize that you wish you'd started at Matthew after all and began to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because all of a sudden it becomes a little bit difficult. Someone's described Leviticus as like reading the telephone directory. It becomes a little bit difficult. The reality is, friends, it's part of the inspired word of God. Why does it seem to jar? Why does it seem to sort of be difficult? Well, let's face it, there's not a lot of story in Leviticus, not a lot of narrative. It seems, seems irrelevant to modern day living. And it seems difficult to relate to. I understand all of that. The reality is, it is a not easy book to read. But I want to encourage you to, if you've been one of those people that's I'm going to read all the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, to stay with it. One, because you will get something from it. And also because Numbers comes pretty quickly afterwards. And you can move on. What is Leviticus about? Well, it downloads, of course, to the Levitical tribe, the priestly tribe. But really, friends, the very heart and essence of Leviticus is revealing God's holiness to us and calling us to respond to God by living in an appropriate way. Josh reminded us this morning that in the context of the law, the framework that God had given to a nation for that time, it involved lots of rituals, lots of ceremonies, Lots of things that seem, frankly, obscure to us today, but actually was all pointed to something as well that was fulfilled in Jesus, which we'll come to in a moment. God's called us to live in a way that pleases the Lord. The Bible says that because he is holy, he's called us to be holy also. Being a Christian is not living how you please. It's not doing your own thing. It's devoting, committing your life to God and beginning increasingly to live in his likeness. That's what Leviticus is all about. Leviticus is a call to corporate worship. It's a reflection in a nation to a response from the God that's delivered them out of their past. You see, the Bible shows us a way to God, justification. We heard about it in our breaking of bread time, but it also encourages us to walk in God, sanctification. That's just the start, coming to Jesus, and then on our journey, on our process, on our shaping, on our discipline, We find a way that brings glory to God as well. We've been liberated, friends, not to live as we like, but liberated to be like God, to increasingly reflect him, to show his character, to bring all of our life to him. And of course, around Arena Church, on the continuing journey of Christ-likeness, is what in modern day terms people call spiritual formation. That continually happens. I have some great conversations with people that process something fresh about God. They've been Christians two years, five years, ten years, fifteen years. And God speaks to them about something. He speaks to them about the appropriate response in their life. He speaks to them about continually changing their attitudes. He speaks to them about their motives. He speaks to them about how they deal with others. It doesn't all happen overnight. We step out of darkness into life. But then God begins to shape us. And Leviticus is about being shaped. It's about bringing our lives to God so that we increasingly live like God. And in that day and in that time and in that nation and in that context, there were many celebrations and special days that reflected 
that worship back to God. Of course, every week, even today in Orthodox Judaism, they would celebrate Shabbat, the Sabbath day. And it's good to build rest into our lives. And I know some of you have sought to process that without any sense of legalism into your own context in recent times. And then during the year, there would be seven feasts, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Offering of first fruits, the Feast of Weeks, or what is sometimes called the Feast of Pentecost, which was 50 days after Passover. And last week, we celebrated Pentecost around the world 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. The Holy Spirit came to birth the church. The Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, where the high priest would enter into the Holy of all and make atonement for the sins of the people and then following that the feast of tabernacles after the solemnity of atonement a time of joy and celebration feasting and gladness at the goodness of god and then every seventh year there'd be a sabbath year where land would be left fallow where vineyards wouldn't be pruned and where they would enjoy the blessings of their labors thus far And then we come to Leviticus 25 and we find that after the seventh of the seventh years, there's an extra year. Just like we've got an extra day, we've got Tuesday off as well. Well, I always say that and then I realize that at the door afterwards, somebody says, well, I ain't got Tuesday off, you know, because, you know, they're a baker or they're a carer or they're a nurse or whatever. So I understand all of that. But in the national life of our country this week, there's an extra bank holiday on the back of the weekend. So in the 50th year of the life circle of the nation, there would be a jubilee year, a once in a lifetime experience for the people that they would enter into. And that's what Leviticus is talking to us about. You might say, well, great, Phil. That's really inspired me to read Leviticus. But what does that mean to me? What does that mean to us well the reality is friends that the bible says that everything was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and we might be inspired to have hope in the lord what was happening friends this was all pointing to something that was ultimately fulfilled in jesus christ not if not all of the law is for us and uh, not all the commands are for us but actually it was given to us To see the unfolding picture of God working out in the history of time. So what about these rituals? What about these ceremonies? What about these feasts? What about these special days? What does it all mean? Well, they were shadows. They were types. They were illustrations. They pointed to something. Or rather, should I say, they pointed to someone. And his name was Jesus. It was all fulfilled, friends, in Jesus Christ. He fulfilled what these people alluded to. Someone says that the Old Testament is a prophetic glimpse of what God planned in Christ and now is available for all. Let me read you a few words from Hebrews chapter 10 from the message. It says the old plan was only a hint of the good things in the new plan. Since that the old plan wasn't complete in itself, it couldn't complete complete those who followed it. No matter how many sacrifices were offered year after the year, they never added up to a complete solution. If they had, the worshippers would have gone merrily on their way, no longer dragged down by their sins. But instead of removing awareness of sin, when those animal sacrifices were repeated over and over, 
they actually heightened awareness of sin and guilt. The plain fact is that the bulls, the, the bull and goat blood couldn't get rid of sin. This is what is meant by this prophecy put in the mouth of Jesus. When he said, you don't want sacrifices and offerings, he was referring to practices according to the old plan. When he added, I'm here to do it your way, he set aside the first in order to enact the new plan, God's way, by which we are made fit for God by the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus. Every priest goes, priest goes to work at the altar day, each day, offers the same old sacrifices year in, year out, and never makes a dent in the sin problem. As a priest, Christ made a single sacrifice for sins, and that was it. Then he sat down right beside God and waited for his enemies to cave in. It was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. By that single offering, he did everything that needed to be done for everyone who takes part in the purifying process. And the Holy Spirit confirms it. You see, friends, we had a period of the law to continually show to us that we couldn't get to God in our own strength. And as, as, uh, as sincerely as these sacrifices were done, they continually reminded people of their fallenness, of their guilt, of their sin, of their con con condemnation. But when Jesus Christ came, this man offered a sacrifice for sin forever, and he sat down at the right hand of God. We don't have to go through these rituals anymore. We don't have to celebrate these special feast days that were a shadow of what was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's why if anybody ever says to you, you've got to celebrate a special day to prove you're a Christian, the answer is, you haven't. Because we've been liberated, friends, into something far greater and far more wonderful than that. So Jubilee was about a year. Jubilee was about an amazing experience in the life of the nation but Jubilee pointed to something that was wonderfully fulfilled in Jesus Christ. A spiritual Jubilee. And one of the definitions of the word Jubilee is liberty. And it was interesting, some of the songs that we sang in worship this morning, as God reminded us that he's called us to liberty. I wonder, Chris, if you just put that picture on the, on the screen, if we can get it up. There's the Liberty Bell. And uh, that's found in uh, Independence Hall in the friendly city of Philadelphia in the U.S. of A. And in, on July the 8th, 1776, that bell was rung as the people were called to hear their nation's declaration of independence. Interestingly, Leviticus 25.10 is inscribed on the Liberty Bell. You see, it was a declaration of freedom over the nation. It was a time, friends, when people would understand the blessings of Jubilee. And uh, that bell no longer rings out because uh, it's, it's a little fragile, but it reminds a nation of a call to freedom. I want to say today, friends, that God rings out a Jubilee bell over the church. He calls the church to understand that its stance in him is to be utterly free. And we give God thanks and praise for all that he means. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, we've got, I think, the New Testament verse that complements everything to do with what I'm seeking to say about Jubilee. Because there's Jesus in Nazareth. On the uh, 
day when he emerges out of relative obscurity, served his father and his mother, grew up in the, in the, uh, in the town, and come to adulthood. But that day, something changed because he went to the synagogue. And in verse 18, read the words of the prophet Isaiah that says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to f- proclaim freedom to the prisoners and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Or if you like, friends, to proclaim jubilee to proclaim freedom to proclaim liberty it wasn't defined by 365 days this was the new kingdom that jesus was issuing in they couldn't believe it they says this is joseph's son in fact the bible says they were enraged and sought to take him out of the city and do away with him but his time had not yet come and the spirit of the lord friends upon jesus set something up to declare freedom to people You see, the Bible continually calls us to a place where we will enjoy freedom. The year of the Lord's favor. Jubilee fulfilled in Jesus. No longer confined to a season, but actually a calling of our lives. And briefly in the next few minutes, I want to give you four things that I think roll out of Jubilee. The Jubilee experience. They they were reflected in Leviticus 25. And I want you to understand that whatever took place naturally in Leviticus 25 has a spiritual impact into our inner being because of what Jesus Christ has done for us through the power of the cross. The first is this, there's rest. There's rest. He says in verse 11, the 50th year shall be, of Leviticus 25, it's a jubilee and it's to be holy for for a year eat only what is taken directly from the fields the land and the and the vineyards lay fallow for that year it was a, a year after the sabbath it was an extra year of rest jesus says in that manifesto of luke four eighteen that he wanted to bring the gospel to the poor and i believe friends that part of the good news message of jesus is to bring rest what do i mean by rest oh you might say well thank goodness for the for the bank holiday weekend i understand friends there are lots of people in arena church that work incredibly hard i understand that there are lots of people up very early in the morning doing a really hard day's work and and often serve sacrificially in the life of arena church and quite rightly you may be looking forward to this weekend saying i'm going to enjoy some rest that's absolutely fine physically friends we need to find time for some rest and that'll be different things to different people But the reality is if you go and go and go and go and go, your body somewhere along the line will tell you that you need to rest. And people express rest in different ways. Some people like to sit down and read and rest. Some people like to go for a run. You think, well, that's not much of a rest, but it is to them. And uh, some people like to go for a walk in the countryside. But it's doing that something different. It's doing that something where we can pull back. But what is God saying here? Is God just calling us, friends, to an armchair experience where we've got our carpet slippers on Almost said in our pipe as well, but we better not go there. But we've got our carpet slippers on. You think that's life? You think that's what? Do you think that's the fulfilment of life? Just to sit around doing nothing all day? I mean, it would drive me nuts. It would drive me crazy. But the reality is, friends, that you may be living life at quite a high pace. But here's the truth: God's called you to rest. It's not about sitting around doing nothing. 
It's about having a serene and peaceful relationship with yourself and with God because of what you found in Jesus Christ. Remember, friends, that God instituted work before the fall. You know, we're made to do things. We're made to be productive. We're made to have a rhythm to life. We're made to do stuff. That's why sometimes when people lose those rhythms, it can have implications in other areas. I understand that people get to stages of their life of retirement and not having to sort of do those things in the same way. But how many times do I come across people say, are you enjoying retirement? Yeah, loving it. I'm more busy now than what I was before. In other words, they're enjoying rest, but they're not just sat around doing nothing. They've got, a, they've got something in their life that brings a production. And the Bible says, friends, that as the land rested for a year, so God wants us to live in rest all the days of our lives. We have a nation, friends, that doesn't live in rest. Let me illustrate it by two or three um, banner headlines I've pulled off papers in just recent days. So here's the first one. A million drinkers end up in hospital every year. He says almost 900 more uh, people are admitted to hospital every day than five years ago, according to new uh, official statistics. 1.1 million, 1. 1 million people in England ended up in hospital a 25% increase in the last five years, a lack of rest. What about this? Stress is the top cause of workplace sickness. Stress has become the most common reason for people being signed off long-term sick, a recent report reveals. No rest. And what about this one? The UK addicted to sleeping pills. Britain has become a nation of sleeping pill addicts since the start of the economic downturn, figures revealed yesterday. Stress-related insomnia has become blamed for a sharp increase in the number of people prescribed powerful drugs to help them go to sleep. I say all that, friends. I say all that, not out of, not out of any sense of condemnation, but to illustrate that we live in a nation that does not live in rest. Sometimes people use it, use work to illustrate the fact they don't live in rest. I believe in working hard. I don't like people that are workaholics because it's masking something. It's masking the fact that they don't live in rest. We have, a, we have a saying in our family about putting a good shift in, and we do. It's just part of us. But I, I don't want to live there. I don't want to live in a place, friends, where I, I don't live in a place of rest. And the reality is sometimes we all get a bit pumped. We all get a bit stressed. How many of you know that a little bit of stress is not bad for you? You know, because otherwise we go back to the armchair where we're just watching the world go by, you know. And uh, the fact of the matter is that some people have tried that and then they find they get stressful. The reason is because they've got no rest. So the fact of the matter is, how many of you know that it doesn't mean that we don't get challenged? It doesn't mean that we don't have to confront that awkward meeting. It doesn't mean that we haven't got that difficult situation in the school. But in all of those things, it doesn't mean that we're not going to make that that uh, that's financial decision that has consequences on people. It doesn't mean that we're not going to go heart in mouth to see if we can close down that business deal. All those things are part of life. But the reality is in all of those challenges, we can live in rest. Matthew 28 says these words. I believe, friends, it's a prophetic word over our land at this time. It says these words. It says, come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened or heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, 
and you will find rest to your souls. For my yoke is easy, well-fitting, and my burden is light. Here's the message on that. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That's living in rest. It's a unique, intimate communion with Jesus that walks us through the challenges of life. Here's how Fine's Bible Dictionary defines rest. He says it's not rest from work, but in work. It's not about inactivity, but it's it's the harmonious working of all of our faculties and affections, our will, our heart, and our imagination, finding in God a sphere of satisfaction and development. You can see I didn't think of that. Wasn't that an amazing definition? Incredible. So have a rest day. But the reality is God's called you to live in a rest life. That's what Hebrews 4 is all about. And I understand, friends, that people would have strong opinions about Saturdays and Sundays. St. Adventists would mark off Saturdays for their day of worship. Lots of Christians pretty impassioned about Sunday still. But I don't see it in the New Testament. I don't think we need to get too uptight about it. Thank God that this is a convenient day in the culture of our nation for us to have public worship. But it's not to a day, it's to a relationship. It's not to 24 hours every so often, but it's a continual living in an harmonious relationship with Jesus Christ. Soberly, Revelation 14, 11 gives us a glimpse into people that face eternity without Jesus. And notice, friends, it says there, that one of the things that people outside of the love of Jesus in eternity will experience is this, no rest, no rest. They'll live for eternity, friends, with no rest. And I want to encourage you today to be a person that freshly commits in Jubilee to the rest of God that he's called to you in Jesus Christ. Josh reminded us earlier that there may be people around the life of the church that face challenges. Please hear me this morning. It may be your experience at this moment that you are having difficulty sleeping for all sorts of reasons. It may be that you have become overly dependent upon some pills to calm you down. It may be, friends, that you've been tempted to go to that bottle in the cabinet to say, that's what I need to somehow bring some equilibrium to my life. I want to encourage you to recognize that God's called you to something better than that. He's called you to jubilee. And when you live in jubilee, friends, in the revelation of Jesus, you live in rest. Secondly, friends, briefly, God's called us to restoration. Because in verses 13 to 28 of Leviticus, and I don't have time to open it up, but in jubilee year, property was restored to its rightful owner. They came about restoring to people of what was first theirs. And I want to say today that the enemy of our souls who comes to seek, to steal, and to kill, and to destroy, if I can use modern language, friends, is a rip-off merchant. He wants to demean you. He wants to take from you the fullness of what God has called you into. But I want to say today that if you feel like that, if you've gone through experiences where you've been robbed and have things taken from you, the good news is this that Jubilee's coming to you. 
And jubilee means that, friends, God wants to bring a restoring to your life. I love Luke 15. I think it's an amazing story. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And you know the story well. The lost son says, I want my inheritance now, with which within Jewish custom he had the right to take. And he said that he went off and lived in wanton living. He had lots of friends, lots of parties. But the ignominy for a Jewish young man was to find himself in a, uh, in a pigsty, looking after the pigs, so hungry that he actually said, I was tempted to eat the pig food. And then repentance came, change of mind that led to a change of action. He says, this is ridiculous. I'll go back to my father, not claiming to be a son anymore, but committing myself to be a servant. And I'll walk back into his presence and find some sense of restoration. You know the story. The father was looking a long way off. And when you've got family, you, you notice them by a silhouette at times, don't you? Oh, nobody walks like our Auntie Jean like that, you know. You just know them. You just see them afar. You don't have to see their face. You just have to see the outline. And day after day after day after day, father was looking for his son to return, believing in faith in his heart that something was going to change. But of course, he saw him a long way off and he went to him. He threw his arms around him. And the symbolism of the robe and the ring and the shoes, which is not for this morning, but basically was saying, you're restored. You're brought back into relationship. It's not about you, but he could barely get the words out about servanthood when he says, you are lost and you're found, you were dead and you're alive. Welcome back into the family. Friends, one of the great challenges for the Christian church in these days is to be a church that will welcome back those that have lost their way. And I believe, friends, that when we live in Jubilee with a restorative heart, we're going to see hundreds of people find their way back to God in an amazing way. They're not going to come to older brother church that condemns them and judges them and has to have it all worked out before we accept them. They're going to come to church that has the Father's heart that brings them back to a place of restoration. I want to say to friends across this church this morning, that you may have been ripped off by the enemy and it may have had an impact upon you spiritually and you look on your life and think, I've wasted so many years of my life when I should have been following Jesus. You know who agrees with that? The little accusing voice says, that's right. So what are you doing here this morning? So you're, you're trying to agree with that. It may be that you, you, you feel that you've lost out relationally and it may be across this room, there are broken relationships out of fallenness. It may be that you've lost out financially and made some poor decisions that have had a huge impact. It may be that you've lost out emotionally and psychologically and so we could go on. But Jubilee says there's a way to be restored. Jubilee says there's a way back. Jubilee says that all I gave you in the first place, I want to give back to you now. Jubilee says you don't have to live with that sense of emptiness and loss and disappointment and failure and condemnation. Because in Jubilee... In Jesus, I want to give you all that I intended to give you in the first place. You just need to step into it and receive it. Thirdly, friends, there was redemption. In verses 48 to 49, when land had been sold to foreigners in the Jubilee year, either the person or the person's relatives, if they were in a position, would buy back that land for the person that it was originally belonging to from the foreigner that had bought it during the succeeding years. What does redemption mean? People say, well, we shouldn't use words like that anymore because people won't understand them. You what? No, what we need to do, friends, is explain what it means. Redemption means that we are brought back 
by the payment of a price. We are bought back by the payment of a price. You may say this morning, I'm not one of those religious types. In fact, I'm not even sure what I'm doing here. But Jesus reminds you this morning that you're bought back to him by the payment of a price. What price? I haven't got any money in my bank account. I haven't got any religious good works. No, he's not talking about any of that. The price has been paid. It was the price to be shed blood on the cross of Jesus. It was the price that prevails once and for all, for all mankind, for all history. The price has been paid. And if you step into the paid price this morning, God says, however far away you've gone, there's a way for you to get back. That's what redemption's about. You used to sing an old song years ago, there's a way back to God from the dark past of sin. There's a door that is open and you may come in. At Calvary's cross is where you begin when you come as a sinner to Jesus. Swore they don't make them like that anymore, do they? <laughs> Redemption. Paul writing to the Corinthian church reminds us that we've been bought with a price. We've been bought with a price. And this morning, brothers and sisters that are Christian believers across this church, when sometimes you're tempted maybe just to go a bit shallow on God, when sometimes you may be just content to mark time, and when sometimes you're perhaps content to look on and let others do it, you, me, have been bought with a great price, and he draws us again to a heart response that says we want to follow you. Finally, friends, there's release. Because in verses 41 to 42, it says that the slaves, the prisoners, would be released in the Jubilee year. What do we need to be released from this morning? Maybe we need to be released from that old-fashioned word, sin. It means that we've missed the mark before God. Released from our fears, released from our life-controlling habits that trip us up and bring us to a place where we feel as though God's not pleased with us. Released from religion, released from legalism, Released from fear of taking the next step, as we heard in our men's night the other, the other evening, into the purposes of God. Released into being used. Whatever it is, God speaks release over our lives today. And of course, you'll be aware that some of the slaves had the opportunity to be released, said, no, no, no. Because on this journey of serving the master, we've come to love the master so much, we don't want to be released. We want to serve the master forever. They would be taken to a public place in the community. They would have their ear uh, pierced by an awl to the doorpost. It would be a sign, the pierced ear. See, some of you think it's new. Some of you think, some blogs with earrings, they think it's new. No, 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 no. There's nothing new. They'd live with a pierced ear that says, I could go free, but I don't want to. Here's the truth this morning, friends. Our status in Jesus Christ is a son. Ladies, I use that in a generic sense. It, it speaks about our relationship, but our spirit is a spirit of a servant, a slave, that says, you know what? I just love Jesus so much. Why would I ever want to do my own thing? I'm just committed to being a servant of the Lord forever. I wonder if you've ever come to a place in your life where spiritually you've had your ear pierced. I wonder if you've ever found that quiet place in God that says, God, I want to serve you forever. I'm in this for keeps. I love you so much. I can't think of doing anything else. I don't want to go free. I want to be bound to Jesus. Because when we're bound to Jesus, friends, then we are really free. Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the year of the Lord. We honor our queen today, Queen Elizabeth II. 
We bless her for her faithfulness, for her steadfastness. We thank God that during times of trial and difficulty, she stood tall. We thank God for her Christian example to our nation. But friends, in the greatest respect of all of that, there's a greater jubilee. It's not brought about by a king and a queen, or a queen, but by the king of kings and by the Lord of lords, by the God of the most high. That's what's brought about the great jubilee that all the shadows of the Old Testament point to being fulfilled by the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Not a season, not a year, but a lifestyle. A lifestyle that knows in a turbulent, conflicting, difficult sometimes scary world, rest. A jubilee that brings about restoration. Whatever the enemies ripped from you, God says, I want to restore. A jubilee that reminds us that we've been brought back to God by the payment of a price. We are redeemed. A jubilee that says we can enter into freedom. He sets the captives free. Proclaim freedom over all the land to everyone who lives in it. A jubilee for you. Let's pray.